Boys Sports Corner. I'm Nick Winstead, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Randall Davis. Randall, how you doing today? You get all your Christmas shopping done? Absolutely, doing great. Uh, glad to be on Christmas break. You know, that's the benefit of being a teacher. We get a couple weeks off around Christmas, so glad to be spending a little time at home, getting a few things taken care of before Christmas here, so looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, absolutely. So this week on The Corner, we're going to recap an absolutely crazy week in the NFL. A lot of uh, comebacks, a lot of just insane plays going on. Talk about the Vols coming up just short in Tucson against Arizona. Uh, Talk a little bit about college bowl game opt-outs and what we think about them. We're going to also introduce our newest segment, which is called Around the Corner, with our first guest, Coach Scott West. And we'll have our weekly segments in the Power Five and the Big Boy Corner Picks. So let's get rolling. Jumping right into our NFL recap. Man, Nick, what a crazy week in the NFL. Starting off with the Colts and Vikings, right? I know we had Thursday Night Football last week, but the crazy one was Colts-Vikings on Saturday. Yeah, I turned that game on, and and early Colts were up. I don't know, seventeen nothing. I saw Jonathan Taylor got hurt, and I thought, ah, Vikings will have a chance to come mm-hmm. back. And before I knew it, Colts were up thirty to nothing. So I turned it off. You yeah, know, I thought, eh, no reason to finish watching that one. And then they got up to thirty three to nothing, and mm-hmm. I thought, man, you know, that's a that's a done game. What's going on with the Vikings? You know, we've talked. Talked quite a bit about the Vikings on here about what a weird, you know, ten and three top team they were with some big blowout losses, and I thought here's another one to add to their kind of crazy ten and three, you know, going to be ten and four um, record. And then I get a text from you, oh my gosh, the the Vikings came back to win, and I thought you're pulling my leg. So I get on my phone and I look, and sure enough, the Vikings come back 39-36 with the win. And you just look, and, and, you know, at halftime, it's, you know, it is 33 to nothing. The Colts, um, after the third quarter, it is 36 to 14. And the Vikings score 22 in the fourth to tie it up, go to overtime. Vikings score three to get the win. Kirk Cousins, another 400-plus yard game, 460 yards, four touchdowns. His fifth 400-yard game as a Viking. It's a franchise record. Um, K.J. Osborne, 157 yards receiving. Just an unbelievable NFL comeback record. Yeah, I mean, that's – and, you know, we follow college football. And you see four touchdown comebacks in college football from time to time. Um, you know, high school football, you'll see comebacks. And you see comebacks in the NFL. But for a team to be down 33 to nothing at halftime and for them to come back in an NFL game, I mean, it's the biggest comeback in NFL history. It broke the uh, the comeback the Bills had against the Oilers in the playoffs, 32-point comeback when it's 35 to 3. It's just – it's unheard of to see – an NFL team blow a lead that big. And what's a, another crazy statistic is that Matt Ryan, love his heart, 
is now on the losing end of the biggest comeback in NFL history and the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, 28-3 to against the, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So, you know, and, and let's not pretend that the Colts are a great team. You know, going into this game, they were 4-8-1. Now they're 4-9-1. Um, have Jeff Saturday as interim head coach, which I think that interim tag is probably going to stick. We'll probably see him back on ESPN set next year in 2023. Um, but, you know, Minnesota, to, to have that kind of comeback, Kirk Cousins, uh, another 400-yard game. That's two games in a row. Uh, he had a 400-plus-yard game in the losing effort against Detroit last week. Um, he's quietly having a good season. Um, you know, sling it around all over the field. Minnesota's got receivers to throw to, K.J. Osborne, Je Justin Jefferson, Thielen, uh, Dalvin Cook out of the backfield and had 95 yards receiving in the touchdown, had 95 yards on the ground. So he had a big game. Um, but that was just, you know, obviously that was the, the biggest comeback in NFL history, biggest comeback of the weekend, but that was just a foretaste of other comebacks uh, and other crazy games that we're going to talk about that happened over the NFL weekend. Yeah, looking at the second one that was a, a good game and an unexpected game, the Chiefs and the Texans, you know, getting into overtime, Chiefs pull out the win 30-24, to a weird game. I, I watched the beginning of this game, um, you know, Titans played late, so I was watching the 1 o'clock game, Chiefs-Texans there on CBS, and the Texans are just not very good. And for them to have stuck in this game like they did was, was kind of crazy because the first drive, and I think they continued doing this, I, I kind of was in and out. The, the entire first drive on offense for the Texans, they had two quarterbacks on the field. Right. Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll were both in the huddle, both on the field at the same time. I, I don't think I've ever seen it consistently done the way they did it. And I don't know if it was because Driscoll's not been on, on the team and been there um, as much as uh, Mills has, but it was almost as if Mills was calling the plays and Driscoll was running them. And then they would switch and Mills would play, be at quarterback. But when Driscoll was at quarterback, Mills was out wide just standing there. Yeah. So they were essentially weird. playing with 10, you know. Right. Uh, you're talking. You talk about Jeff Saturday probably going back to the ESPN set next year. I'd say Lovey Smith is going to the house as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not been. You know, a guy who had some success in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, he has not had success in Houston. And let's be honest, they they have they're in a really bad stretch of of time right here um, over the last few years. Um, and I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. They're they're not good at quarterback. It's you're hard pressed to look at the Texans and say, "Hey, name five players on the Texans." Absolutely. You know, Laramie Tunzel, he's a good yeah. offensive lineman. Yeah. But you know who their quarterback is because it's you know it's not not real hard to name who the quarterback is for most NFL teams. But who's their running back? Right. Exactly. Right. And and I actually think their running back's been pretty good this year. But who's yeah. their best receiver? I think right. Cooks plays for them. You know, I and, yeah. and I think he's been asking for a trade because, again, who wants to play for him? So that's my point is you don't see a path out of what they are right now. Mm -hmm. In saying all that, they, they take the Chiefs to overtime. 
You know, and the Chiefs have had some games like that this year that just inexplicably they have, you know, not played very well. The Titans game with Malik Willis at quarterback who has not looked good in his playing time this year. Right. They they took it down to the wire. But um, Jarek McKinnon, 26-yard touchdown run in overtime, gets the Chiefs the win. Um, You know, you look at the the Texans, 1-12-1. Uh, the tie being with the Colts. You know, the past two weeks, you know, this week took Kansas City to overtime, a team that's an 11-win team. The week before, they took uh, Dallas down to the wire in Dallas. Uh, Dallas had to have a 97-yard drive at the end of the game to win. Um, I believe the score was like 25-22 or something like that. It was a one-score game where Dallas had to come back to win. You know, weirdly – have been competitive the past two weeks. Um, But this game is a weird statistic, uh, offensive statistic game. Kansas City had 502 yards of offense. Houston had 219. Uh, Patrick Mahomes passed for 336 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 36 of 41. 36 of 41. That's insane. You cannot look at those stats – and think that they only won by six in overtime. Right. On the surface, the statistics tell you, if you took the score out of this, blind looked at it, 500 and something yards of offense to 200 and something, 36 of 41, you would think, oh, my gosh, they won by two or three touchdowns. Yeah, absolutely. And they won by six in overtime. Yeah, it's a weird game. The NFL makes no sense to me. No. I've never <laughs> – if, if this was a college game, it would be a four-touchdown game. Yeah. Yeah. It just – now, Kansas City lost two fumbles, three fumbles, right? right? Or they had three fumbles, they lost two. Um, and those – the turnover battle is always a big part of every game of football. Right. But just inexplicable how that happens sometimes. You know, a game can be that lopsided and can come down to an overtime game. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Titans. Do we have to? I guess. <laughs> you know – it's it's a recurring theme here on our short-lived big boys big boy sports corner that the Titans are just going to be the death of me. Um, you know I, I don't understand the Titans. Now Ryan Tannehill got hurt early, and I just mentioned in his short, you know, limited opportunities, Malik Willis has been wildly unimpressive. He runs the ball well. He 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 just looks so uncomfortable throwing the football. Mm-hmm. But again, let's look at the stats of this game. Ryan Tannehill, fifteen of twenty-two, one hundred and sixty-five yards and a pick. Malik Willis, three for four for twenty. Derrick Henry, twenty-one carries, one hundred and four yards and a touchdown. Pretty good game. They had two fumbles. With no turnover, no, they recovered both of them. So, pretty good. You look at Justin Herbert, twenty-eight of forty-two for three hundred and thirteen yards, but he threw two picks, yeah. no touchdowns, no touchdowns. So, it's a seventeen to fourteen game. You go a little bit further, and Randy Bullock missed a field goal, and it was a longer field goal. Yeah, but he, it was he, a fifty-yarder. He he pushed it right. Yeah. It was not a. It was not because he was short. Um, and their kicker, 
hit the field goal to win the game. But what's so frustrating is they tie it up, and Herbert, with 40-something seconds left, just has the ability to go push the ball downfield to get into field goal range. It's like the defensive backs were non-existent. Yeah. The big play down the sideline that he threw to, I believe it was, I don't know, maybe it was, it wasn't Mike Williams. I don't remember who it was, but it was the big play down the sideline to get him in field goal range. The The defensive back never even looked for the ball. No. And so those things are the things that continue to compound themselves for the Titans to be frustrating about. They can't win a football game. And I talked about it last week. The Titans tend to play well against better teams. Yeah. Well, they played relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've eventually got to win one of these games. Now, this week they play the Texans. That's on the surface is a good thing. The Texans have won one game. Well, they just took the Chiefs to an overtime. Right. But if they don't win a game at some point, they're not going to win the division. Mike Vrabel's going to lose his job because they've lost four straight. Right. You can't lose the last three. You cannot lose seven straight games and keep your job. Now, the Titans made a choice already. They fired their GM. Generally, you pick one or the other. You fire your GM or you fire your coach. They chose. They said, we're going to keep Mike Vrabel. You can't lose seven straight games and keep your job. Right. Not – you just can't. But the Titans have got to go into next year and they've got to put some offensive weapons around Ryan Tannehill. They're not going to get rid of Ryan Tannehill. We talked about this the other day via text message. Malik Willis is not the answer. No. I just don't believe he is. I, I've seen enough of him. Now, has he played 10 games, 15 games for me to say, oh, I think he's, you know, no. But he's shown me nothing to say he's an NFL quarterback. Do they draft someone this year? I don't think it's a bad idea. Can yeah. you can you trade Malik Willis to someone who thinks they can put him in their system and, you know, make him a backup for them and, and mold them into what he wants? Maybe. We talked about it, and, and maybe it's it's always hard here for us to, to not have that Tennessee Vols flair, but I'd love to see them draft Hennon Hooker and yeah. let him develop for a couple of years behind Ryan Tannehill. Because what does Hendon Hooker do well? He takes care of the football. Mm-hmm. He runs the football well. He takes care of the football. And he throws the ball on intermediate and long passes well. Puts some weapons around Tannehill for a couple of years. Continue to feed Henry and shore up your defense. But the, the Chargers-Titans game just continues to make me sick as a Titans fan. You know, right now, and we've talked about this quite a bit on here and in general conversation, we always talk about that the Titans need an offensive identity. They have an identity right now, and it's called no offense. Run, run, pass. First down, second down, hand the ball to Derrick Henry. Third down, Derrick Henry comes off the field. You know what's coming. They're going to throw the ball. Um, And they – had injuries on offensive line. Taylor one's done for the year, probably done in Nashville. Uh, they've got a guy, and his name slips me, that's playing left guard. That is six foot one, two eighty five. Aaron Brewer, and they talked about him on the. They did. They talked about him on the broadcast, and man, he got just poo pooed on in that game. That the the yeah. the commentator. I mean, if I was Aaron Brewer, I might sue the guy for libel. I mean, <laughs> it was bad. They, 
It was at, bad. At six foot one, he should not play guard. At two eighty five, he should not play guard. I'm like, well, man, he's doing it, okay? Yeah. Even yeah. mentioned that because he was from Texas State, he shouldn't play guard. I was like, man, there's people all around the league playing right. school right. smaller than Texas State, but yeah, that was a, that was an interesting comment from that commentator. I was like, he just does not like Aaron Brewer, <laughs> and Aaron Brewer is not the problem. No. Dennis Daly might be the worst left tackle in the NFL. Oh, he he gets whipped. beat about ten times a game. I mean, it's yeah. he just looks like he just is like, hey, go around me. I'm not going to touch you. But yeah, Aaron Brewer, left guard. Yeah, and you know that that that's Taylor <laughs> one spot talking about left tackle, and and he's been kind of injury prone. But Titans sitting in in week eleven or week ten were seven and three, and there was conversation about them. You know, not being the one seed, but being a, a pretty high seed in the AFC playoff pecking order. And now they've lost four in a row. They're seven and seven. They they still hold the division lead because the AFC South is a lot like the NFC South and just not very good. But and we'll talk about this team here in a second with the with the Jaguars. You know, they've won two in a row. And one of those two was a beatdown of the Titans in Nashville. Um they're one game back. And they the last game of the year, the the Titans and the Jags play in Jacksonville, and if if the Titans don't, you know, you think this week should beat the Texans. Although past two weeks the Texans have have pushed really good teams to the limit, but it's 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 truly probably going to come down to to week eighteen when they play in Jacksonville, and if the Titans squander what at the time was a pretty big lead in the division. And, and lose the division to Jacksonville, I like Mike Brable. I like him as a coach. I like him as a guy. I think he's I think he's a good NFL head coach, but, man, it's going to be hard if you finish, you know, you lose two of your last three and lose the division. It kind of be hard to keep him around. But, yeah, the Titans have an offseason, a very should be, a very interesting offseason to figure some things out. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say about the Titans is I I don't want Mike Vrabel to get fired. I'm I'm a big Mike Vrabel fan. I think he brings a I think he brings a, a good style of play, especially to the defensive side of the ball. They have not been very good defensively the last couple of weeks, but they have been a pretty good defensive team. I say that they only gave up 17 to the Chargers, who are a good offensive football team. I just think they're going to have to make a change on offense if he sticks around. They cannot continue to be so one-dimensional. And and it's not just they're one-dimensional of I'm a running football team. They are just so – it's so obvious what they want to do of run, run, pass. Yeah. Derrick Henry's going to be on the field for two downs. Then it's going to be third and seven. I'm going to pull him off the field and – you're taking your best weapon off. Get into some third and twos every once in a while. That'd be nice. Yeah. Or maybe have him on the field every once in a while. Every time he catches a freaking screen pass, he takes it for 30-something yeah, yards. He was, like, their, he was their leading receiver. And so I just think they're going to have to find someone who's innovative on offense and get some get some weapons. Um, I, I certainly want to keep Mike Vrabel, but you're going to have to win some games. I, I don't think you can – I don't think you can afford to – lose seven games and keep your job. So, moving on to the Jags and Cowboys, a game I did not expect um, to see the score of when I when I kind of started looking at this stuff. 
And the Jags have been playing better. I, I always thought when Trevor Lawrence got drafted that they would end up being a better football team. Yeah. Now, obviously, last year they started out the year with Urban Meyer, and that was a disaster. Yeah. But now they're getting better. Um, is it Marone that's there? Peterson. Peterson. I'm Doug sorry. Peterson. Marone was there before. All right. Peterson, who has a name as being a quarterback guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're now sitting at six and eight, which is better than the Jags have been in, in quite a few years. Yeah. And they went out, they're going to win the division. Yeah. Because that means they beat the Titans in a couple, you know, that means they, they win against the Jets tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We're, we're recording on Wednesday. That means they they beat the, the uh, Jets on Thursday. And then they play the Titans maybe the last week last, of the season. Yeah, last game of the year. And so that would be, you know, an unbelievable turnaround for them. But, you know, they beat the Cowboys 40-34 to in overtime. Um Pick six to win the game. Uh, they pick off Prescott to win the football game. And just looking at the stats, um, Trevor Lawrence, he's 27-42, 318 yards with four touchdowns. Travis Etienne has over 100 yards rushing, 5.4-yard average. They picked off Prescott two times. Um, they, they did lose two fumbles, um, but they, again, they caused two interceptions. So. Yeah. You know, a, a kind of a net zero there with turnovers, which you, you're always kind of looking for in the turnover battle, is to at least be even. You mm-hmm. know, you don't want to you don't want to be in the negative there. So, a really good story there. Cowboys, who you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about, were in both of our top five in the Power Five segment. For the Jags to pull off a win there was a big win for them. Yeah, and this is another game. You know, obviously, the the Colts blowing a 33 point lead is the big story of the comeback weekend but Dallas was up 27 to 10 in the third quarter and blows that 17 point lead goes into overtime and Dak Prescott who admittedly has played well in his career uh, but has also had some turnovers and had a an enormous one in this one a 52 yard pick six to to lose the game uh, and and Dallas just loses more ground to Philly in the in the NFC East. And obviously, Dallas would have to win out. Philly would have to lose out. Both of those things are probably not going to happen. They play each other this weekend, which we're going to pick that game. So, we'll touch more on that going forward. But, you know, Dallas has always had in the past few years the, the moniker of one and done. They'll make the playoffs, losing the first round. Um could that be again this year? And obviously, we don't we don't know who they'll play in the playoffs. They're going to be a playoff team. They're going to be a wild card team. They'll probably be going the wild card, eleven, twelve wins. Um, but it's just a, a team that you know people either love or hate. And a lot of people love them. A lot of people hate them. But they've been kind of underperforming in a way. Um, but to, again, blow that kind of lead. And, obviously, Jacksonville's played better. Past two weeks, um, Trevor Lawrence has thrown 686 yards, seven touchdowns. It's, he's starting to live up to that number one overall pick uh, uh, status that he had coming out of college. Well, there's, um, there's a reason that 
there's a reason he was the number one pick. There's a reason he was successful as he was in college. There's a reason he had the comparisons that he did. He has all of the tools that you look for in an NFL quarterback. He has the size. He has the talent. He has the arm talent. He has the athletic ability. I mean, he can run. He can. Um, he he's got the mobility. He has the escapability. And he he was a really efficient quarterback in college, right? Yeah. He wasn't a he wasn't turnover prone. And in this day and age in, in the NFL, they throw the ball so much that you're not going to have quarterbacks that go and throw fifty touchdowns and five interceptions, right? right? You're if you have a quarterback in this day and age that throws fifty touchdowns, they're more likely to have ten or fifteen interceptions, right? Because they've thrown the ball so many times. He has all the talent. Can they continue to put people around him? Obviously, having Etienne is a big-time thing for him because, A, it's his college teammate. Yeah. But also, he's a really talented running back. Yeah. Can they continue to get better defensively? Because, obviously, they're not super talented defensively right now. They're giving up a lot of points. Mm -hmm. Can they get better defensively? Can they take that next step to go from being a potential – they could win the, the AFC South. Yeah. That's not saying much right now. Right. It's no different than winning the NFC South right now. Yeah. Right now, if you're winning the South in football, not real, not real, you know, something to write home about. Yeah. But can they go from that to being a dominant AFC South type team? Right. Um, I think that you have the biggest piece of that, right? You got Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence, and I think he's only going to continue to get better. The, the uh, last game we're going to talk about, and it wasn't the craziest game, until the end. The very last play. And so we talked about the craziest comeback with the Colts Vikings. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the craziest ending I think I've ever seen. It was yeah. the weirdest. You know, you've seen crazy endings in college football. You've seen running through the band. You've yeah. seen all that stuff, right? Raiders Pats. It's it's the first game between Josh McDaniel and Bill Bill Belichick since Josh McDaniel took over in Las Vegas. Um, you know, Pats have struggled on offense, probably a little bit of animosity there, you know, and I think Bill Belichick understands, Hey, you got to go, got to go do your thing. You got to take that job. But, um, Matt Patricia calling offense, which I think is it's the weirdest a, thing I've ever a, seen. He's a defensive coordinator, you know, and, and he's not even their offensive coordinator. Like if no. you look on their website, he's like a senior analyst, Yeah, but yeah. he's calling their plays. I noticed that on like a Thursday night football game. I, um, Mac Jones comes off the field and he goes over to Matt Patricia. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. So he's like a senior analyst, offensive line coach, and he's calling he's plays. Calling plays. Anyways, so the ending. I get a text from you. Did you see the ending to the Raiders Pats game? I was like, no, I hadn't seen it. I saw towards the end the Raiders tied it up late. Yeah. And when they tied it up, they were safety shaded over towards Devontae Adams. Understandably, mm-hmm. Derek Carr hits Marvin Jones to tie it up. Crazy. Well, the Pats get the ball. And they try one of these, pitch the ball, throw it all over the field. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. Didn't go well for him, did it? No, and that's – it's one thing, okay, if you're down at that point. The game is tied. It's 24-24. Ramon J. Stevenson, who had a monster game, 19 carries, 172 yards, one touchdown, 9.1 yards a a carry, had a monster game. 
Um, last play of the game, takes a handoff from Mac Jones, rumbles for 20, 25 yards, whatever, um, and decides to pitch the ball back to Jacoby Myers, which at that point, whatever, you're, I, you're trying to get something going. Eh, I would rather you probably just go down and play for overtime, but – Pitches back to Jacoby Myers, who runs 20 yards backwards and then just wildly throws the ball. I don't know who he – the only person that was in the vicinity happened to be Chandler Jones, who plays for the Raiders. Um, and Chandler Jones uh, picks the ball off and absolutely plants Mac Jones into the dirt. Yeah, he sent him back into the earth. <laughs> just – it was oh, it was unbelievable, and and that's Jacoby Myers says after the game, "Hey, I thought Mac Jones was open." Well, he might have been if you wouldn't have thrown overthrown him by you know or underthrown him by ten yards. Yeah, yeah. You threw it directly to Chandler Jones. Yeah, and then Chandler Jones made Mac Jones look like a seven year old. Yeah. It was unbelievable. You you just like you said, you don't do that in that situation, and that's always the danger of doing that. And that's part of look in the NFL, the overtime rules, right? You you get the ball first and you go score a touchdown. The game's over. Yeah, and so that's what lends to taking a little bit more chances right there when you have the ball. So that's the discussion of does the NFL need to change their rules a little bit? If both teams should touch the ball, right? And they did that a little bit of hey, if the first team goes down and kicks a field goal, the other team then the other the team gets a chance. Well, my argument to that is be better, right? Yeah, hold yeah. them on defense, and yeah. if you don't, then you lose. And so. Just an absolutely boneheaded play, and you cost your team. You know they're sitting at seven and seven now. If you win that game, you're eight and six. Yeah, and you're, and you're, you're probably squarely, a wild card. You're team. squarely in the wild card conversation. And now, with that loss, you know the Chargers are definitely ahead of you. Um, just, just a not a not a real smart decision there on, on Jacoby Myers' um, decision. You know, decision making was not not his best move there no and now that that opens up and this is this conversation has been going on since Brady left New England um how much longer does Bill Belichick have you know his first year without Brady they bounced around had Cam Newton playing some they weren't very good last year draft Mac Jones he comes in they're 10 and 7 they're a playoff team they get curb stomped by the Bills in the first round Still, 10-7, and seven, they're a playoff team, winning record. This year, now they're sitting at 7-7. Seven and seven, um, Outside looking in as a playoff team. The rest of the AFC East has improved, and they've gotten worse. Uh, you've got Miami uh, has improved. The Jets, weird to say, have improved. Obviously, Buffalo is at a top-two team in the AFC, uh, and – New England's gotten worse. Does Belichick go somewhere else, or does Belichick call it a career? You know, he's he's chasing Don Shula's record. I believe he has 32 or 33 more wins to, to beat Don Shula's record. At this rate, that's another three years. Does Bill Belichick have another three years in him? Obviously, I think he's a great coach. Does Robert Kraft want to keep him around? Well, here, here's what you got to look at. Bill Belichick is 70 years old. Yeah. Next season, he'll be 71. He has six Super Bowls. 
three-time AP NFL Coach of the Year. He is 297 and 150. What else does he have to prove? It's, Short of chasing that record. It's the it's Nick the, Saban it, conversation. It's the same conversation we've had multiple times. I And I understand it. Honestly, I understand it more in the NFL than I do in college. Yeah. I don't know why Nick Saban keeps doing it. Yeah, do you want I don't to? know why you want to do the constant grind at 70 years old yeah. of calling and convincing 18-year-old kids of why they need to come play football for you. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because all he should have to do is call and say, hey, I'm Coach Saban, come to Alabama. Right. And he doesn't have to do that. He has to call and say, here's why, you know. Yeah. And have all these pitches and do all these things. And and a lot of people think, oh, he doesn't have to do that as much. That's what he has assistance for. Look, I sat in a, a, a conference four months ago that Philip Fulmer led, and he talked about when he was still the head coach at UT – even though he had all these assistants that did all these recruiting trips and recruiting visits, he would go to practice, he would come home, he would settle everything down with his kids and his wife and have dinner, and then guess what he would do? He would go sit in his office, and he'd start calling the West Coast until 12 or 1 o'clock at night. You can't tell me that Josh Heupel, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, that's that's what a – College coach does a college head coach does. I yeah. mean, that's a it's a we talk about the grind twenty four seven blah blah blah, but they really are putting in sixteen eighteen hour days. So to get off to to get back on the topic, I know there's a little bit of a tangent, but besides chasing Shula's record, what is what is the what does he have to prove? And if he's dead set on that, but Belichick doesn't strike me as the type that that matters to. Him. I don't think so either. So, would you rather spend the last 10 to 15 years of your life enjoying yourself or – now, look, football coaches are football coaches, right? They love yeah. the grind. They want to do those things. But at a certain point, go spend the rest of your time with your wife and your kids and your grandkids. And, yeah. You know, now he coaches with his son, so maybe that's different. Maybe he enjoys that. That's part of, you know, we don't know the real Bill Belichick, right? Yeah. We – you see what you see, just like the, what you see with, with Saban and those guys. They don't show us what the real Bill Belichick is, but that may be what he wants to do, and I certainly commend him for that. But be interesting to see what, you know, that looks like going forward. So, um, well, that's it for our NFL recap. Nick, tell us a little bit about the Vols in Tucson. So, we obviously, we talk a lot about Tennessee sports in general. Now we're we're getting into uh, the basketball season, and the Vols had a big, what felt like a tournament-type game in Tucson this past Saturday night, which for us in the Eastern time zone actually ended on Sunday morning. It was a 10.30 Eastern time first tip. Um, and the Vols go into Tucson, uh, Arizona being the top 10 ranked team, Tennessee being the top 10 ranked team, and if you look at the pure, you know, sports is a statistically driven thing. If you look at the stats, uh, Tennessee shot 42.9% from the field goal. Uh, Arizona 42.6 from three point. Neither one were very good, but Tennessee was better at 29.6. Arizona at 20.8. Uh, Ziegler had 21 points off the bench. He's really thrived in that sixth man role. 
Uh, Olivier Cumois had 16 points. Um, Tennessee held Arizona 17 below the season average. If you look at those statistics, even though the game's in Arizona, you think probably Tennessee pulled out the win. Uh, but we know Tennessee lost 75 to 70. And, and every stat, offensive stat, defensive stat, turnovers, blocks, steals, was in favor for Tennessee. The, the telling stat from this game is Tennessee was 8 of 10 from three throw. That's 80%. That's still good. Arizona was 24 of 27. So Arizona got to the line 17 more times than Tennessee did. Arizona had 16 more points just off free throws than Tennessee did. And the fouls were 24 to 15. Tennessee had 24 fouls called against them. Arizona had 15. Now, you never – the fan will always say, oh, well, the, the, the stripes got that game for Arizona. The, the stripes uh, called that game, and Tennessee lost because of that. Now, did Tennessee lose just because Arizona had more free throw attempts and Arizona had less fouls? No, that's not the only reason. Phillips had two points in the game. Vescovy had nine points in the game. Josiah Jordan-James didn't play again. Um, Euros Plavich had six points and a big technical. And now he's in the doghouse with Rick Barnes. So um, you never want to lay total blame for a loss at the at the feet of the refs. Now, did, did that have something to do with Tennessee losing? A little bit, sure. You know, there was probably a discrepancy in foul calls. But if you look at the game last year in Knoxville, Tennessee got some calls that Arizona didn't. So, but this is a game that really proves, hey, Tennessee can go into a very hostile environment. I'm probably going to guess I didn't watch much of the game because it started at 1045. But I'm probably going to guess that there wasn't a lot of orange in Tucson that night. So, obviously, that's a very hostile environment. But for them to go in and compete, leading at halftime, in the second half we're down 15 and come back and have a chance to win, that really bodes well going forward for Tennessee. Yeah, I watched the first half and probably 10 minutes of the second half, and then I was just – I was dozing in and, out, in and out. It was late. So, um, it was extremely ticky-tacky from the refs. And for the Vols not to shoot any free throws in the first half, and Arizona shot 11 or 12. Yeah, they were 11 of 12. So, um, yeah, it was – I'm not going to blame the refs completely, but it was it was one-sided. I mean, when, when you shoot – 10 free throws to 27 free throws. There's got to be something, a little bit of something said there. Yeah, yeah. The technical foul early from Plovsic was was silly for two reasons. It was a silly technical. It was a very, very soft technical from the refs, but it was really silly for Plovsic to get it. And I get why Rick Barnes is mad about it. Plovsic didn't say anything. He stared stared the guy down. And the reason I think it was silly for him to do that is because he's the softest seven foot two guy yeah. I've ever seen. He plays like he's six foot two. And I don't really care if anyone likes that I say that or not. It is what Uros, it is. if you hear this, I don't care. Quit acting like you are Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. When you start playing like it, then you can act like it. And I'm pretty sure that's what Rick Barnes is trying to say. For sure. There's 
there's something to be said about being a energy guy and a glue guy, and then there's something about trying to puff your chest up all the time when there's no reason for it. Right. The guy had six points, and he had points early. He was playing well. Yeah. But Arizona's um, center, Balo, I think is how mm-hmm. it's pronounced, um, is a good basketball player. It had 18 points. And, and um, Plopsic had just scored and kind of stared him down. Again, I don't think the ref should have called the technical. If anything, should have been a warning, told him, hey, we're not going to do that again. But when you constantly are having those kind of things um, unnecessarily, right? when you're doing stuff, you're having those antics and they're not earned, you know. You, you get away with those things with Rick Barnes if you're Admiral Schofield a few years ago or you're Grant Williams. Yeah. Or, you know, on this team, if you're Santiago Vescovy, you know, did I say that wrong again? No, Vescovy. Okay. You yes. got it. You got I'm it. Gonna, eventually, I'm going to be right every time. Um, you know, when you've put the time in and you've earned those things week in and week out, but Plavsic is way too inconsistent. But from a game game standpoint, Olivier Cumwall played really well, shot the ball well, two for four from three. If he continues to develop that three-point shot, he's going to be really hard to guard yeah. because he's really good around the basket. He's a good defender, but he's got a really pretty stroke. If he can continue to develop that, um, Santiago has got to continue to to be more consistent at shooting the ball. Got to have a better game out of Phillips. Obviously, Ziegler was unbelievable off the bench. Yeah. Um, I like Awaka a lot. The off the bench, he's a big, big kid. I mean, he's you know I'm not sure how tall he is, but he's thick. Um, in the in the paint, he's just he he seems like he moves people. He he goes and gets rebounds. Um, Adu had a had to, did not have a very good game. You know, one for five from the field, only two points, four rebounds, which is not bad on the rebounds in twelve minutes. Got to get Triple J back. Yeah, you get him back and get him healthy. And I think they're just being careful with him. At the end of the day, you want to win against Arizona, but it doesn't hurt you to yeah. lose a five point game. Right. But to go and run the table and and have have a really good SEC play is more important, and you want him healthy for those. So, not a discouraging loss. No, um, no, not to, at all. To score 70, you know, roughly around your season average without J- Triple J is good. To hold Arizona to 75 shows how good they are defensively. Yeah. And, again, without Josiah, who is an incredible defender, it's pretty good. So, yeah. um, I think that's a, a – was a good game for them. They're going to learn from it. They're going to grow from it. And uh, excited to see. Got Austin P tonight at Thompson Bowling. Um, good little tune-up before they head to uh, Oxford to play Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've a good – hopefully just what you, you don't see out of tonight is a letdown. And this has not been a team that seems to uh, play down to their competition or play – poorly after a loss so you really think take care of Austin P tonight and then start SEC play uh, with Ole Miss and Oxford and and like we said I still um, I would still consider Tennessee to be the best team in the SEC Alabama uh, lost 
over the weekend to Gonzaga. The past two games, they've given up 188 points. Um, but it'll be, be very interesting going forward to see uh, how it all shakes out and how Tennessee and, the, and, and Alabama compete for the SEC. But now the shift gears a little bit and dive back into some college football. Uh, not necessarily going to talk about bowl games and picks and everything here, but talk about yeah, guys you, you that are – you probably don't want to talk about that because I'm beating you so bad in the bowl picks. I know. Why I pick Cincinnati, I'll never know. It's okay. But um, to not necessarily talk about the bowl games here, but talk about guys who are not playing in the bowl games this week and the coming weeks. Um, obviously, we look at Tennessee Clemson because that's the big game we're going to focus on. Hopefully next week have a little uh, preview of that. But Tennessee is going to be without Jalen Hyatt. Everybody knows that. Blitnikoff Award winner, 32 yards short of the single season Tennessee receiving record of Robert Meacham, which you think, just come back, get that record. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. Cedric Tillman being out, we kind of figured that. He's been in and out of the lineup all year with that high ankle sprain um, injury. Um, some some rumors of Jeremy Banks, Tennessee linebacker, not playing. He's accepted to play in the Shrine Bowl. That's not confirmed, but it has been thrown around. And you look at Clemson, uh, who Tennessee's playing in the Orange Bowl. Miles Murphy, their uh, defensive end, who's tied for the team lead in sacks with six and a half, leading the team in tackles for loss with 12 and a half. A first-round talent is not going to play. Uh, their second leading tackler, linebacker Trenton Simpson, is also not going to play. So you've got some some big names in that bowl game that are not playing. You look at some of the other bowl games, um, Florida's already played. We know that. But uh, Anthony Richardson didn't play. Uh, for some reason, people think he's a first-round talent. Ugh, I don't know about that. Um, Kentucky, Will Levis, Chris Rodriguez, their quarterback, uh, another supposed first-round talent, and their running back Chris Rodriguez also not playing. Texas, Bijan Robinson, who is a really good running back, 1,580 yards, 18 touchdowns, is not playing in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, so you've got some guys who are not playing. On the flip side of that, Alabama is not going to have any opt-outs, and they're playing in the Sugar Bowl, which for most college football programs to go 10-2 and two and be playing in the New Year's Six Bowl, like with Tennessee, that's a great thing. Alabama's not used to playing in the Sugar Bowl unless it's a college football playoff semifinal. But they're two big players. Obviously, they've got more big players, but they're two big players. Bryce Young, who probably going to be wearing navy and red next year for the Texans is what a lot of people are saying. First round or first first overall pick, he's going to play. Uh, Will Anderson, their defensive end, outside linebacker, edge rusher, is also going to play. So you've got and there and there's more. Just touching on some high high points there. You've got guys that have first round talent. You've got guys that um, are going to have the ability to make a lot of money in the NFL and have opted out of their college bowl game. You've got some guys that also have first-round talent, ability to make a lot of money in the NFL, and are going to play. So that brings up a debate that we could sit and talk about for a long time, of whether or not these players that have 
this opportunity <coughs> to go to the NFL draft, whether or not they should play in the bowl game. Um, selfishly, I would really like Jalen Hyatt to play in the bowl game. And that's just from a pure, I'm a Tennessee fan. He's obviously arguably the best receiver in college football. Selfishly, yeah, I would like to see Joe Milton thrown to him in Miami next Friday night. Um, I would like to see Jeremy Banks playing linebacker next Friday night. The selfish side of me says that. But then, like, you've got to put yourself in Jalen Hyatt's shoes. You've got to put yourself in Miles Murphy's shoes, Bijan Robinson, all these other players. This could be a multi-million dollar decision for them. Now, are the odds of them getting hurt in this bowl game super high? No. I mean, they're not super high, but you always take that risk. Football being a contact sport, you know, you're getting hit every play. You're cutting every play. We've, we've seen guys get hurt and not get touched. Um, so you take that risk. Um, personally, I can see both sides. I can see the side of the player not wanting to risk. You're playing in a bowl game. That's not the college football playoff. And we can sit here and discuss all day the validity of bowl games that are not part of the playoff. We're not going to do that. In a couple of years, it's not going to matter because you're going to have a 12-team playoff. Um, but I can see both sides of it. I'm not really on one side of the fence harder or another. Uh, what do you think? So I will be on one side of the fence. I 100% am on the side of unless you are playing for a national championship and you have a chance to go make take get a multi-million dollar contract, I wouldn't play either. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people that listen to this and say, oh, well, you're giving up on your team, you're giving up. Until you're in that situation, you don't know what you would do. But I know what I would do, and and I know what I would do in a heartbeat. Look, I love my friends. I love my teammates. I love the people that I surround myself with, but there are two people in particular that I love more than anything in the world, and that's my family. Yeah, That's my wife and my son, and that's who I would – put first in making that decision. So who are these? We don't know the situations no, of all these all. people. No. We don't know, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that we, you know, Bryce Young is, is a outlier. He is projected in most mock drafts to be the number one pick. Yeah. And he's still playing yeah. as of now. But Jalen Hyatt's projected to go in the first round in a lot of drafts. All it takes is for him to get hit one time in the knee and he tears that knee up and now he's not as fast as he is. Yeah. Well, what's his what's his game? He's he's a speed receiver, yeah. you know, and um and at the end of the day, what is he playing for? He's right. playing for an Orange Bowl win, right? That's yeah. that's big. Tennessee's won an Orange Bowl before, yeah. right? Like that's not to lessen what the Orange Bowl is and that's not but if at the end of the day, sometimes in life, you have to make selfish decisions. And that's not always good for everybody, and that's not always good for 
um, the people that cheer you on, but sometimes those are the decisions you have to make. And I can't fault any of these guys for doing that because I would make the same decision if I were in their place. And so if you're a fan of these teams and you start, well, I can't believe they would opt out, you have to take a step back and sit in their shoes and say, if I had an opportunity to take a job that was worth millions of dollars and all I had to do was sit out of my job for a week yeah, with really no penalty, would I do that? You know, and so, you know, I know that it's more complicated than that, but at the end of the day, they're making a decision for the betterment of their family, and I can't fault them for that. Yeah, yeah. And for the most part, that's what it is, that they're they're not going to take a chance to get into these games that at the end of the day aren't paying them. Right. And that's a that's a conversation for a different day. And I know NIL has changed that, and, and you know, Jalen Hyatt got an NIL deal to get families and, and mm-hmm. things like, like that down there. But – at the end of the day, it's a decision that they had to make with their families, and I can respect that. And so, you know, you can't you can't fault someone for making those decisions. So, no, and and like you said, ultimately, whether or not you uh, are in favor of the player opting out or in favor of them playing, ultimately, we're not the ones playing. It's not our decision. We're not even on the coaching staff. We're just. Uh, fans that sit at home or sit in the stadium and watch these guys play. So it's ultimately not up to us, it's up to them. But it'll be interesting, you know, going forward over the next couple years, especially next year, just to kind of see what the trend of this is. So uh, we're going to take a short break here, and when we get back we're going to introduce our new segment called Around the Corner. Welcome back into the Big Boy Sports Corner. We're excited to introduce our new segment this week around the corner. This is going to be a new segment that we're introducing this week that highlights high school sports here in the local East Tennessee area. Uh, something we're both passionate about. Both of us have been coaching high school sports for uh, a decade. Me coaching track for about 10 years and coached football for five years. Uh, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about your coaching history? Yeah, I've coached uh, high school football for 11 years now, one year at Unicoi County, uh, starting out uh, seven years at Cherokee High School, two years at William Blunt, and then uh, one year here at Eagleton. So uh, coaching high school football for a decade plus now. Yeah, I guess I, I coached track at William Blunt from 2012 through 2020, I coached football from 13 through 13, 14, 13, 14, 15. Maybe it was 12, 13, 14, 15. I, yeah, 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Four seasons uh, back in 20, and then I coached here for two years at Eagleton 21, 22. Um, you know, just something we're passionate about. We will kind of vary by season, kind of some of the guests that we have on. You know, as right now we're in basketball season. When we're in baseball season, we'll try to get some baseball coaches on. You know, obviously here we have Travis Hart, um, Justin Young's a friend of ours over at William Blunt. Um, 
during football season we'll we'll get some different football coaches on. But the the whole point of it is to to highlight local sports, not only our local teams, but our local coaches, our local kids, um, because that's what we're here for. That that's you know we're both educators. Um, we're in it for the kids. We're in it for the relationships. We're in it for the um, highlighting the schools and the programs that we're a part of in, in East Tennessee. So super excited to have our first guest today, uh, legendary Coach Scott West. So here is that interview, bringing it to you today with Coach Scott West. We are super excited to be joined in Around the Corner by head coach at Eagleton, Scott West. Coach, thanks for being on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your coaching history? Okay. Well, it's a long one. This is uh, year 25. Um, it started in middle school up in Ohio with uh, girls and then boys. And and then after graduating, I ended up at Canning County High School for four years, which was tough. In the district they were in, I think the state champion, state runner-up, was in our district every year. Uh, Jackson County, Upperman, Macon County, York Institute. So they were all really good. And, and then I came to Maryville. My wife's a William Blunt grad. Don't hold that against her. And um, and I ended up at Maryville, which she hated. But uh, learned to love it. Had a lot of good years there, 21 years at Maryville High School in various roles, obviously, doing um, girls' assistant, boys' assistant, girls' head coach. And, and then, uh, you know, one of the fun things I did was document 20-plus years of Maryville High School football. I was, you know, the – I guess the official videographer and historian. So if you need a Maryville High School football history, you know where to go. But um, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of good things, and um, and just uh, a blessing, a lot of people in your life with coaching. And you guys know that. You guys are still young, but you have a lot of people. that um, And how you're watching them raise kids and, and, um, and into coaching themselves. You know, Wes Lambert at Maryville and Derek Hunt at Maryville and, um, and several others that um, that are in the coaching ranks that uh, I've either coached or had in class. So a lot of people that you get in your life, um, a lot of success, a lot of wins, but uh, I don't I don't really know what that number is, couldn't tell you. But I do know that um, I had dinner with some of my former players the other night. I get cookies from a couple of them during Christmas. So it, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's been a success. Well, you, you may not know the number of wins, but I do. 244 wins as a head coach at Maryville. Um, first girls tournament win at Maryville in almost 100 years in 2021. Took them to back-to-back state tournaments. Obviously, one of those was affected by COVID. Um, but obviously, you know, you think of Maryville and athletics, um, extremely successful um, athletics program there over the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years. And for you to be the first to, to get them there, and, and get a win, um, you know, that's that speaks a lot of what you built there as a program. Obviously, you were a part of a state championship win in 2007. So, you know, that's that's a that's a big part of what you are as a coach and how you, you know, lead young men and women. Um, you know, I, me personally, being from Blount County, um, knew, knew of you, didn't know you, you know, personally until I met you here. But always knew who you were, knew a lot about you as the, the, the AV guy, you know, being on the broadcast at Maryville and 
Um, the 100 yards, always knew about that once you started that at Maryville. So we were obviously excited to get you over here and what you were able to bring, not just from an athletic standpoint, but what you were going to bring to our students here at Eagleton. And that's already paid dividends here. Um, and, and I think that's only going to continue to grow. So um, excited to see what, what we're going to continue to build here. So, Coach, we're obviously super excited to have you here, uh, here at Eagleton building up our basketball program, uh, what you do in the building with the audiovisual broadcasting class, that's been fantastic. Uh, but why, after uh, so long in red and black <laughs> at Maryville, have you traded in uh, what in Blunt County to some people are ugly colors? I spent seven and a half years wearing red and black at Cherokee High School. But why, after, after the success you had at Maryville, um, say tournament wins, state tournament appearances, why have you decided to trade that in and come take on the Royal Blue and come to Eagleton and help build a program? What, why Eagleton? What's led you here? Well, you know, I believe in God's greater plan. And, um, you know, things didn't work out in Maryville for whatever reason, clash of personalities. And, um, you know, I, I never speak poorly of Maryville. I love it. Uh, sometimes you guys think I love it a little too much, but uh, – when you spend as much time in a building as I did and create the relationships that I did, uh, you can't hate the place. It, um, you know, I, I don't hold any ill ill will toward them, and I, I don't want anything bad to happen over there. Um, wish them success. Still contact those players. It was, I was blessed to be a rebel, and I'll always be a rebel. And you can't take that out of me. I know uh, some think well, I need to to totally distance myself from that, but. I, I, that I can't do. Uh, those are my. That's my family over there, and um, and I and I miss them. But I'm I'm happy to be here. It just uh, when things started on the road that they were at Maryville, and and I was trying to think. You know, I'm old. You know, and I don't feel it, but I, I still think I got a lot of juice in me. But um, you know, we get down toward the end of that, and you know, decided I was going to stay and just teach uh, until the end, and and I just got a call. And um, somebody said, hey, would you consider Eagleton? And I thought, well, you know, I live two miles away, but I've never even thought of Eagleton. I knew it was here, but I didn't know anything about it. I'd, I'd been on campus. My daughter, I'd coached her in AAU out here in this gym many years, so I knew where it was, but I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, why not? You know, so I sent my resume in, and it was like five minutes later, my phone rang. And um, I think the first question out of, uh, at that time, Bosco's mouth was, are you serious? Like, well, yeah, I wouldn't have sent it if I wasn't serious. And then, uh, then I met with Mark Dallin, who I have a ton of respect for, and uh, it didn't take long. Uh, 30 minutes of actually 30 minutes turned into about an hour of having coffee with Mark, and, and we talked and we talked about the things that he was visioning here, and, and it got me excited about it. And I thought, you know, this, this community needs a kick, and, and I'm definitely a kicker. So, um, you know, when we got out here, it, uh, I, I called my wife. I said, I feel like I've known this man for 100 years, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And uh, she was shocked, to say the least. It, uh, because you, you, everybody knows it's Maryville, right? It's the pay. It's the, the benefits. It's everything, the facilities, and, and a lot of great people. And I worked for a lot of great people and with a lot of great people. And, and leaving that last day was not easy to, to walk out of something that, you know, you're proud of, you know, you're proud of what you've built, 
the, the respect that Maryville girls basketball has across the state. Uh, that wasn't the case before 2011. Nobody in Blount County, they thought Maryville, but it was always Maryville Heritage. It was Heritage. It was uh, well, even Blunt at that time was better than, than Maryville. Maryville was just good, but they weren't great. And um, in year one, we were sub-state, and we went to five of those, I know. And, um, I think we were just a couple of plays away from two state titles. You know, we played Whitehaven in, two, in 2020 and lost uh, one of the better state tournament games I've ever witnessed. And I uh, had two threes to win it at the end. And, um, and then in 2021, you know, losing to eventual state champion Blackman, and they hadn't hit a three the whole game there, Nick Winstead. And they close it out and, and uh, tie it at the end of the third with a three and then proceed to hit three more to open the fourth. And, um, you know, those things happen, but we still were there. And it was uh, – I think we have been one of the best teams in the state um, over the last decade, and I don't think anybody can take that away from you. And, um, and I'm not worried about that. What was great was two of those players came to watch us play Maryville last week, and we went to dinner after. That's what it's about is, is those things. But Eagleton has been uh, – it's been fun. You guys are great to work with. Uh, yeah, we're getting there. And I know you got some questions on that. It's just um, trying to build a program with kids that have never really competed and uh, taking some slack and taking some heat because of some of the teams we're playing. We're playing the Maryville freshman sophomores. We're playing – uh, last night, the, the Ambassadors team, which had four seniors, and they were pretty good. And we're playing a tough schedule, but that's what it's all about. It's not about wins and losses. It's about building. And, uh, you know, it's, that's what I think. Yeah, Coach, I think you touched on something there that, you know, I just want to hit home about is, is, you know, you spent 20-plus years of your life teaching and coaching and doing those things at Maryville, and, and it is hard to, you know, I, I – was a William Blunt grad and, and coached and, and taught there. And, you know, a lot of people thought it was, you know, odd me leaving there and coming here. And sometimes it's, it's just a, a fresh start. And um, I, I'm with you that it's been a really good change and, and we're building something special here. Um, this community, um, you know, is craving something for these kids and in this community and, and people like you are, are, um, a big part and a big start of what we're trying to do for that. So um, I certainly think that um, it's been a real blessing to have you for, for what you do for the kids, and um, that will only continue to grow in what you're doing for broadcasting our, our games. And, you know, just being able to watch our game last night on NFHS, you know, that that's a – you know, anytime we have a basketball game, you can sit at home and watch that thing on TV, you know, and you don't always have to come and sit in the gym and watch that, and that's a real luxury for, uh, you know, a lot of our families in this community. And so speaking of this season, how has this season been for you? You know, the ups and downs, things that you were expecting in year one and things you weren't. You know, I know you talked a little bit about the scheduling. You know, a lot of people from the outside don't understand why would you schedule Maryville, you know, freshmen and sophomores when you're playing – you know, when, when we're a school of right now 200 kids, why would you schedule Maryville? Why would you schedule Heritage? Why would you do those things from the outside? People don't understand that, but those of us on the inside who've coached for, you know, a number of years understand why that competitive, competitiveness is good. How has this season been, and why are you doing those things, and what do you think, why will, we, why will your team reap those benefits going forward? 
Well, you know, you look at game one when we came out against a, a really good Maryville Christian crew that has a lot of senior kids. And, um, we didn't have Nate, but, uh, I mean, we were really bad. Uh, first two games, we scored 27 and 30. Um, and over the last eight games, we're averaging right at 62 a game. So we're getting there. Uh, you look at the growth we had from Maryville game one, where we got better um, and, and lost by 24, I think, and then leading going into the fourth quarter in game two. And uh, they had an, they had another player that they didn't have the first time we played and pushed them to the limit all the way in that game and had Heritage beat. Um, Heritage didn't want that at all. No, nobody over there wanted to lose to Eagleton because we're Eagleton. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to change that mentality. You know, we're not Eagleton. You know, we are Eagleton. And there's a difference mentality that you got to have. And I told our guys, when we walk out there, I want people to to say, man, we got to play that group. We don't want to play those guys because we're going to play harder than you. We're going to we're going to compete harder than you. Um, I coach hard. You know, some of these guys are learning that. We started with 19 guys. We're down to 12 or 13 now. There's no shame. It's just sometimes you can't play for me. Um, and a lot of people in Maryville had that. You know, there's – my style is not for everybody, and um, and I think right now I, you could probably talk to 20 people, and 10 people are going to love me, and 10 people are absolutely going to hate me, and uh, and I'm fine with that. And um, I don't I don't hate the 10 that hate me. Um, I probably got a story on why they probably do, but um, you know that that's just me, and and they know that it doesn't always work out. But uh, you know, last night my my point guard probably wasn't happy with me because he wasn't performing. And I just don't – I don't believe you expect less from your kids. You don't make excuses for why. We're not – you know, oh, it's just Eagleton. They, you know, they're, it's, it, they're just happy to be here. No, we're not happy to be here. We want to win. Uh, oh, they're just Eagleton. No, that's not who we are anymore. And then we're changing that mindset. That's where we went. When when we were at Maryville, they were going to – Team camps where they weren't even competing, and you know, barely Lenore City and some of these places. I'm like, we're not doing that. We're going to Middle Tennessee. We're going to play Blackman. We're going to play Riverdale. Uh, we're going to play these teams, and uh, you know, yeah, we're getting beat, but it grows and the mentality changes. And I think our guys are starting to feel that. I can see a little swagger in them um, as they're getting more confident and um, and they're learning. But there's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, we. Probably the worst shooting team I've ever seen in my life. I mean, honestly, well, we just can't put the ball in the basket. Uh, you know, missing seven free throws in the fourth quarter last night, and that, that that's that's been a plague on us all year. But we will get better. Um, looking forward to after first of the year, we come back with some games that I think we can win, and then uh, and we close it out with some really tough ones with Maryville Christian Heritage and Illinois City team. It was really good that we beat here. That'll probably be a little more ready to go when we go over there. Yeah, I think touching on the competitiveness and scheduling the way that you do and and talking about the swagger of those kids, I've seen it just in the hallway with with those kids. You know, you look back at football season and, and some of those games that we played, you know, our kids were, they were worried and they were, you know, we scheduled the Kings Academy game and, they were man. This is a this is a varsity team that we're going to play. I, we can't compete. We're freshmen and sophomores, and you know we we can't compete. And we go in that game and we're up two touchdowns. Now 
we we squandered that game away in the fourth quarter and ended up losing it in a close one. But that gave them confidence, you know. And then we go and we win the rest of our games until we get to the end. We have a late cancellation, and the only game we're able to schedule is Anderson County. You know, Anderson County makes it to the state championship game, you know, and, and won the state championship, and we schedule their JV. And, I mean, the day of the game, when they found out that that's who we were playing, I, I said it multiple times, you would have thought we were playing the 85 Bears. Mm. I mean, the kids were, were terrified. <clears throat> and I told them, I said, guys, we've, we're prepared. We've played well all season. We just, we're going to play Eagleton football. We're going to go in and do what we do. And, again, we lost that game right at the end of the game. We did everything we could have done to win that football game and squandered it away. Um, but had we not scheduled that Kings Academy game and proven that we could compete, you know, had, would we have been able to compete in that game? Probably not as well. So it's no different with you. If you don't, if you don't play a Maryville team early in the season, do you beat Lenore City here? You know, if you don't compete against a tough Maryville Christian game without Nate Clemmer, who's arguably your best player, do you do you go and, and beat Lenore City or compete against the Heritage? You know, so it certainly helps to play those teams to get that experience against, you know, it doesn't do any good to constantly play teams that you're going to beat by 30 or 40 points because no. you don't get a chance to work on those things when it's, when it's crunch time, you know. But you find a lot about you find a lot about people when you don't win. You find a lot about your players. You find a lot about yourself. You find a lot about the people that you think are support system, and they're really not. So, uh, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in 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 people when it comes to the pats on the back because those pats on the back turn to knives quickly, and um, and you just take that with a grain of salt and you move on. But uh, you know, we've won three or four games, and we've lost seven or eight, whatever it is. I can't I've, – I've just never been one that could tell you a record. I, I can't do it, you know, because I just don't think that's important. You know, it's – you know as a coach if you're successful. If you're counting your wins and you're posting it on Twitter uh, with, with your picture, yeah, I question it sometimes. I'm like, come on, man. Um, that's not what it's about. You know, it's not about that. Now, if, if Layla Bangish from class of 2000 – uh, 13, 14 drops cookies on my porch again this Christmas. I'll probably take a picture, post that because that's pretty big stuff. If uh, Christina and Emma call me up and say, Coach, let's go to dinner, I'll take a picture of that and post that because, uh, you know, that my office has a lot of cool stuff in it. You know, it's got the picture of me and my daughter cutting the net down, substate at home. It's got the state championship ring, state championship net, the, the, you know, it's a lot of neat memories, but the the coolest thing was climbing that ladder with my daughter. Uh, other than the fact that I about killed that ladder because I'm a big boy, and uh, and I'm going up the wrong side, and I I, I didn't know if we were going to make it. But uh, you know, those are the things it's about. But you know, right now I think we are a better basketball team than we were on November 17th, without question. And um, I know that Heritage is looking forward to coming here and playing us again because I think the quote was, we didn't think you all were any good, but we'll beat you 20 next time. Okay, well, let's go. <laughs> let's go. And um, that's what it's about, creating those type rivalries and being in the mouths of the people that you play. Now, you know, I guarantee they know who we are. 
and they're going to respect us, and they'll come in here and give us, and they may beat us 20, but that's because they're going to have to. And um, you can't just roll it out anymore, and it's, it's an easy win. You have got to lace them up, tighten it up, and come at us because we're not going to stop coming back at you. Last night we got down 16 and we cut it to seven and, and had a steal with 40-something seconds to go. And I thought, you know, if we stick a three here, we're going to win this game. And we turned it over. But that's youth. Yeah, we'll be okay. Yeah, and Coach, you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit there towards the end. You know, we can – we can talk wins and losses. We can talk uh, in football playoff appearances. We can talk in basketball tournament appearances, uh, winning percentage, titles, and all that. And and obviously that's as coaches we want you want to win. You know, um, Herm Edwards said that it's the point of the game <coughs> to win the game. You know, um, but even you know outside of that, we've all. Coach Davis and I, we've, we've coached for a decade plus. You've coached a little bit longer than us. You've got a little more experience than we do. Um, but we all know if you're involved in any kind of sport that there's rewards and there's challenges. And, and you've kind of alluded to that a little bit already. But And it might be hard to narrow the reward part down. Uh, but over the last 20-plus years of coaching, what has been your biggest reward of coaching, and then on the flip side of that, you know, what are some some challenges that you faced in coaching, and, and how have you overcome that? Well, the biggest reward is the continued relationships. Um, you know, I had one that was very special to me, and um, the best player I've ever coached, the best person that I've ever known, and um, you know, I got to be with her until she passed, you know, in uh, 2021. So, uh, you know, you look at that. Um, you know, that's what I do, and, you know, I go visit her grave very often, and I just sit and talk to Kayla, and, you know, and, and that's my biggest reward is the people, and, and she's there, you know, and I know that God had a plan for her that wasn't our plan, but she did more to make me a better person uh, than, than anything I've ever experienced, and um, so... If, if, if you take all everything that it, and we talk about challenges, you take all the, the things I've had to deal with, you know, the parent meetings and the negativity and, you know, talking like, you know, you know, just stuff that is so mind numbing. It's all worth it because of that one relationship. But there's been a lot more. I mean, I, I say that one because that one was was deep and, uh, you know, getting to coach my daughter was a special time and her friends that we went through AAU with and um, and the kids that I can and I see them raising their kids and it's, it's just it's a special thing so the biggest reward is watching the kids that you were with and the relationships that you build I know people say that all the time it's relationships that's the that's a key interview term so young coaches say it you got to but if you don't mean it you're not going to win you can you can talk all you want you can put every acronym out there that you want, uh, come up with something special that sounds cool, uh, say relationships are what it's all about, but if you don't actually invest in those people and, um, and it's just talk, then you're not going to get it. So the biggest reward has been those. Um, you know, and the, and the challenges are, or is, again, back at that. You know, a lot of people that you thought were friends weren't. A 
lot of people that you would have died for will just cut you in a blink of an eye. And uh, and it all hinges on, you know, a basketball game. Did you play my kid 18 minutes? Did you did you tell my kid she didn't block out? And 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 that's that that's been the biggest challenge. It's not the, you know, the you know preparing for this team or scouting this team. It's it's being it's going somewhere with somebody that you've known for years, and respect it, and then have them just rip you to shreds because of why those are the challenges and that's what that's what's going to drive young coaches out you guys need to stay in it they can't drive me out they've been trying for 25 years and um and, and nobody will I'm a, I'm a mean sob and i will fight it to the end so i don't have an issue with that but it's not easy and you know that when that one person that you thought was a friend that one person that you trusted, the one person that you thought you could talk to, turns out to be what they really are. And um, that's the biggest challenge. And, and, and it's relationships on one side that you've built with people that are so special, and it's relationships that you lose from people who you thought were something that they weren't. Now, now the jerks of the world, you know who they are. And they don't, their, their stripes never change. It's those others that make it tough. So that's – if I give any advice to young coaches and you want to be a part of this, that's the two things you got to worry about. It's not your gear. It's not your X's and O's. It's not your facilities. You know, I came from the best facilities, and here we don't have the best facilities, but they're getting better. It's not any of that stuff. It's about what do you care about more than anything. If you care more about those friendships, you're going to get hurt. If you don't invest in those people, you're going to hurt people. So that's that's kind of what I've kind of done. And but again, you could go back and talk to two people that would say I've destroyed lives. I've 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 destroyed dreams. You know, and, that, and that's 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 a tough part of it. And what do you say to that person? You know, what do you say? And, and there's nothing you can say. We could have a podcast about that for six years, never stop talking about. It. You know, I'd love to get some of those guys in here with me on mics and say, tell me. Yeah, ten years later, what what is it now? Do you still feel the same way? You know, so that's that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, and um, just the the hit on the relationships thing. I mean, you're right. It, it's a common a common point in interviews and with young people. And oh, it's all about the relationships. And you hear it often. We're all in education, right? You got to build relationships. Well, we know that's not the case with a ton of teachers and coaches and. They're in it for themselves. And so I want to just piggyback on what you said. And If you want to be in this for relationships, truly build those relationships. Be in it for the right things. If you want to be a relationship person, care about the people you're around. Don't say you're going to be in it for the right things. Be in it for, your, for the kids that you're coaching and the kids that you're teaching. And don't worry about the other stuff. If you care about your kids every day, then the other stuff's going to work itself out. Um, we ought, we too often see people that it seems like don't like kids very often, oh, yeah. you know, and uh, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough gig in the, in, you know, a tough, tough thing to do in the job we're in, you know, and so um, coach, it's been fun. Uh, we, we appreciate you being our first guest on here. Um, you're a great leader. That's been really evident 
in in the short time that you've been here um you've been a great friend to us so far and, and a great mentor and teaching us you know who we've been around a little bit but not near as long as you you have so teaching us some of the things that that we need to learn you've been a big help with this you know getting us started on on our podcast and some of the the audio and, and things like that and we're excited to continue to see what happens as you continue to build our basketball program here and audio visual and um you know going forward see what we can do here going into region play next year district and see what we can build um, going forward so that's our interview here on around the corner with coach scott west we will be back in just a little bit and that's our first guest on our around the corner segment continue to be on the lookout for new guests on that segment as we continue to grow and now for our power five segment this week a little fun one obviously leading into christmas this week that'll be on sunday Uh, looking forward to that spending time with the family Um, always fun especially when you have kids you know just the joy they get out of out of the season we're going to do something fun this week uh, Coach, what are we going to do, Mr. Winstead? What are we going to do on uh, our Power Five this week? Well, this week, totally non-sports related, but related to Christmas, we're going to count down our top five Christmas movies. Let's go. Love it. All right, we'll start out with me. Uh, number five. This is probably not going to be on a lot of people's list, and honestly, I wouldn't have seen this had I not had a three-year-old. <laughs> but number five, criminally underrated, the 2018 version the Grinch, and as my son calls it, the Grinch in the chair. On the on the thumbnail, the little clip of it, it's the Grinch sitting in the red mm-hmm. chair. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays the Grinch. It's much more closer to the actual um, the the actual Grinch. The story, um, really, really good version of the Grinch. That's my number five. Number four is Elf. Can't go wrong with Elf. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Love it. Um, Will Ferrell, really, really good. Number three, Christmas Vacation. Can't say my favorite line on here because this is a, a, a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, number two, the Santa Claus, Tim Allen. I really like all of them. I, I, I enjoy two and three. And number one, not only is it my favorite Christmas movie, it's easily in probably my top three favorite movies of all time. It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart. Don't really need to say much else. Just a, it's it's one of those that brings tears to your eyes every time you watch it. It's one of those that I hadn't seen it till probably I don't know six years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 30, so I was 23 or 24 the first time I saw it. Um, and the older you get, and you get a family, and you have kids, and the more that it means to you and the more that, you know, I actually watched it with one of my classes um, last week and they just, they didn't get it. They don't yeah. get it and, and they will one day. And, uh, but it's a wonderful life. Number one. All right. My top five and my fifth one also has Tim Allen has Jamie Lee Curtis in it too. Is Christmas with the cranks. Um, that's again, probably not one that's on a lot of people's lists and you could, th- I could, thrown a, a bunch in here at number five but christmas with the cranks just was on my mind it's hilarious if you've never seen it watch it it's about a 
couple of empty nesters. Uh, their kids have moved off, gone to college, gotten married, whatever, and they're going to go on a cruise on Christmas because you know what? No one's coming home. We're just going to do this. We're going to have fun. And everybody decides to come home, and they're scrambling to get everything together. It's hilarious. It's a great movie. Uh, number four, we've got the same number four, Elf. Elf's hilarious. It was on the other night, and I got home from the gym. My wife, Sarah, was watching it. Anytime it's on, I'm going to sit down and watch it. Will Ferrell's Will Ferrell is hilarious. Zoe Deschanel, just great movie. Uh, number three is A Christmas Carol, any of the versions. Personally, I really like the Muppets version with Michael Caine. Um, the Patrick Stewart version is great as well. Uh, Christmas Carol, number three. Number two, Christmas Story. Hilarious. Um, if you've never seen it, just turn on the TV on Christmas. It's going to be on. They show a 24-hour loop of it. It's funny. Uh, number one, again, same as you, one of my favorite movies, favorite Christmas movie, favorite movies of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, fantastic actor. It's his first movie when he comes back from World War II. Um, I'm not going to – I could sit here and do a whole podcast about Jimmy Stewart and World War II. Look it up sometime. His story of what he did uh, for our country was fantastic. But the movie itself, I can't, I can't watch it and not cry. I'm sitting here. I'm kind of an emotional guy. I'm about to cry just talking about it. Um, great movie. That's my number one. It's a wonderful life. And that's our Power 5 segment for the week. I'm just glad I was able to get noted Christmas hater Nick Winstead to, <laughs> to do a, a Christmas uh, top five segment for this week. Um, you know, Christmas isn't for everybody. It's okay. Um, I love Christmas. I love the reason for the season, and I know Nick does too. Um, you know, not everybody loves Christmas for all the the uh, elves and and – you know the non the non biblical things, but you know we know what the real reason for the season is is here on this podcast, and and um, you know that's why it's it's my second favorite holiday behind Thanksgiving because I love food. <laughs> that's why this podcast is called the Big Boy Sports Corner. Yeah, I'm not pushing 350 for no reason. <laughs> um, but now we're gonna move on. Excited about this segment this week for a couple reasons. Always love the Big Boys Corner picks. It's fun to um, talk about who we're going to pick this week. I haven't won one yet. I am over three on our three mm. weeks of picks. But also I'm excited because we have our first sponsor. Always excited to um, get someone on board with what we're doing. Makes us, you know, kind of think that what we're doing, people kind of believe in a little bit. And um, This week our Big Boys Corner Picks is brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. If you find yourself having too much fun around the holidays and you're in a pinch, Call Tennessee Bonding Company to reunite you and your loved ones. Serve them Blunt and Loudoun counties and all other surrounding counties. Ask for Courtney at 865-255-3361. This week, we're going to be picking eight games. We're going to start out on Thursday night football. We got Jacksonville at New York Jets. Who you got, Nick? Uh, you know, Jacksonville's a team we talked about quite a bit earlier with their game at the Cowboys and obviously them trying to chase down the Titans in the AFC South. The Jets are a team that has improved, uh, has Zach Wilson probably playing this week. Uh, Mike White is still out with an injury. 
Um, Jacksonville just seems to be playing a little bit better. Trevor Lawrence has really kind of turned it on. So give me Jacksonville. Yeah, I think it's an interesting game. I, I think for you know you got a pretty hot Jaguars team, and you just you don't know what you're going to get with the Jets, right? And you specifically what you're going to get with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's scheduled to start this week. You know, Mike White comes in the first game he plays, and he's on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, throws for 300 plus yards. And then he comes back out the next week, and he, he's not so hot. Zach Wilson plays last week, and he plays pretty well. Yeah. You know, um, he has shown glimpses of what he can be. It's just never consistently. Um, but I think the Jags are hot enough right now. I'm going to pick the Jags this week. Moving on, New Orleans Saints versus the Cleveland Browns. Who you got? I've got the Browns in this one. Um, the life in New Orleans post-Drew Brees has not been very good. Uh, this year, they're near the bottom in just about every statistical category, which, weirdly enough, they're still kind of alive in the playoff race because the <laughs> NFC South is so bad. But Cleveland has been playing better. I think Deshaun Watson, week after week, is going to get better and better as just he knocks the rest off of not playing for 700-something days. Uh, it's in Cleveland. The weather in Cleveland at this time of year is pretty miserable. New Orleans is used to playing in the Dome. Give me the Browns. Yeah, just a wildly inconsistent New Orleans team. Yeah. You know, they haven't been bad this year. You know, I mean, you go look, they beat the Falcons. They lose three straight. Bucks, Panthers, which isn't a good loss. Vikings by three. They beat the Seahawks, who hasn't been a bad team. They barely lose to the Bengals. Lose to the Cardinals, beat the Raiders, 24-0. Lose to the Ravens, lose to the Steelers, but then they beat the Rams, who hasn't been very good. 13-0 to the 49ers, lose by one to the Bucks, beat the Falcons. So it's just back and forth. Yeah. They're 5-9, and nine, but I'm with you. Cleveland, at Cleveland, that's an advantage. It's cold, yeah. Christmas Eve. Deshaun Watson's only going to continue to get better. Regardless of what you think, whatever's happened – He's a good football player. Yeah, He's a talented sure. guy with a talented offensive roster. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Amari Cooper, and Joku, they're good. Um, give me the Browns on Saturday. Moving down to game number three, the Texans versus the Tennessee Titans. Give me the Titans. Eventually, I'm going to pick the Titans, and they're going to win. <laughs> I'm just going to keep picking them. You At this point – they could play the 85 Bears, and I'm going to pick the Titans. Right. Just because I'm just going to keep picking them. But saying all that, I don't think the Texans are very good. How they kept them as close as they did with the Chiefs, especially looking at the stats, I don't know. But the two-quarterback thing is just not going to work. No. It's never worked. You, you find me a scenario where it did, and I, you can t- I'll eat crow, right? But – you know, look back to Tennessee with Brent Schaefer and Eric Ainge, yeah. right? Eventually, somebody wins out. Yeah. But I think the Titans can feed the rock to Derrick Henry enough. If their line can just buy into blocking for him, I'll take the Titans. Yeah, these are two teams we talked about quite a bit, and we seem to always talk about the Titans every week. Um, games in Nashville – Again, you've got to think eventually the Titans are going to stop this skid. I don't see it getting the five in a row. I'll take Tennessee. 
a really interesting game that we're going to pick, the New York Giants versus the Minnesota Vikings. Giants coming off a win against the Commanders. Um, they scored late, uh, went up by two, or went for two to go up by eight points. Um, Vikings, we talked about them pretty extensively, yeah. down 33 to nothing, come back and win. Kirk Cousins, two straight 400-plus yard games. I don't know why, but something tells me to pick the Giants. Daniel Jones has has proven that he's not a terrible quarterback this year. Brian Dayball has done a really good job in New York. Um, they're sitting at like 8-6-1. and one. Mm-hmm. If you would have told me at the beginning of the year um, that they were going to be 8-6-1 and one at this point, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. Saquon Barkley is healthy, and he's playing like what everyone knew Saquon Barkley could be. Um, so, I'm going to pick the Giants against the Vikings. I, I just – I think the Vikings – one of these days, they're going to stop having these. They're not going to have a chance to come back down 33 points. Right. And I don't think that Kirk Cousins can keep throwing for 400-plus yards. And um, I think this is the game where the Giants are going to get them. The longer, <laughs> the longer you sit there and talk about the Giants uh, makes me question my pick. But I'm going to stick with Minnesota. Uh, it's in Minneapolis. The Giants had been seemingly looked like they'd run out of steam, got a win against the Commanders, which if you look at two teams that are talent-wise, schedule-wise, are basically the same team. The first time they played, they tied. The second time, the Giants this past week beat them by eight. Um, Can Kirk Cousins throw for 400 yards again? He's thrown 400 yards the past two games. Probably not, uh, but they've got a really good running back, Dalvin Cook. The Giants also have a really good running back in Saquon Barkley. But I just think Minnesota has more playmakers offensively. If you give me Daniel Jones or Kirk Cousins, I'm going to take Kirk Cousins. Um, you've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook offensively for the Vikings. Um, the Vikings are still fighting for that two seed. Right now They're they are the two seed although the Cowboys do have the tiebreaker over them uh, in the NFC. So give me the Vikings. So we're going to do three rapid fire. Cincinnati, New England, give me the Bengals. Bengals. Washington, San Francisco, I'll take the 49ers. 49ers. Green Bay, Miami, I'm going to take the Packers. I'm going to take Miami. Um, Again, Aaron Rodgers, probably better quarterback than Tua, even at this point in his career. But the game's in Miami. Miami still has something to play for. So do the Packers, but I'll take Miami. And then the last one we'll talk a little bit about, Philly and Dallas. A little bit of implications there. Obviously, division. Dallas really needed to beat the Jags. Yeah. Um, That was not good for them. But the interesting part of this game is does Jalen Hurts play? Um, With – all those unknowns, I'm taking the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys respond after a loss to the Jaguars. I think they come out ready to play. I think the defense, who was embarrassed by forty, you know, giving up forty points to the Jaguars, comes ready to play, and um, and they're going to have to be ready to play because man, the the, the Eagles, you know, Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown. Man, I miss A.J. Brown with the Titans. But A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, um, 
really just rolling right now offensively. So I won't feel very good about this pick if Hurts plays. Yeah. But if Hurts doesn't play, I feel way better about it, but I'm going to pick the Cowboys. I'm going to go with the Eagles. I'm giving you a lot of opportunities this week to uh, catch up to me. Uh, But I'm going to go with the Eagles just purely based on what you said with the possibility that Jalen Hurts does play. Uh, the game is in in Dallas, uh, in Jerry's world. Um, I could definitely see Dallas turning it around, um, playing better defensively than they did last week, Prescott <laughs> taking care of the ball. But Philadelphia has one loss on the year for a reason. They're really good. If Hurts plays, I think Philadelphia wins. So I'm going to stick with the Eagles. And that's our big boys corner picks for this week. Again, our big boys corner pick segment is brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. If you find yourself having too much fun around the holidays, give them a call. Call Courtney at 865-255-3361. Hey, guys, thanks for joining this week, joining us this week on the Big Boy Sports Corner. Remember to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and like and share our posts. Get the word out, okay? Be on the lookout for our national championship special coming up close. And from both of us here on the Big Big Boy Sports Corner, have a Merry Christmas. Remember the reason for the season. And until next time, y'all be good.